Hey, this is Sandy. And Randy. And we're here on AT Corner. Being an athletic trainer comes with ups and downs, and we're here to showcase them all. Join us as we share our world in sports medicine. Welcome back to another episode of AT Corner. For today's episode, we have our first interview of 2021. And it's a doozy. This intro is a little bit of an alphabet soup. (laughs) Yes. So today we are interviewing Dr. Joe Jaime. He's a doctor of chiropractic, a diplomat of the American Chiropractic Board of Sports Physicians, a certified athletic trainer, certified strength and conditioning specialist, elite active release technique provider, functional range conditioning mobility specialist, and a corrective exercise specialist. Ooh, what a mouthful. That just shows that he loves to learn. And... He loves to mentor the next generation forward. Absolutely. And you know what's funny is our conversation with him after our interview, he just went over that, was how he loves being that driving force for younger clinicians. So this actually came at a perfect time because on our Instagram, we asked our listeners, what do you guys feel is going to be the most rusty when you return to practice after all of this COVID? And there was a good majority that said evaluation. So without further ado, let's jump into evaluation with Dr. Joe Jaime. All right. Yeah, so uh, we'll kick it off with our uh, with our crowd breakers. First one is, what made you become an athletic trainer and then eventually move on to uh, chiropractor? Um, <laughs> when I first wanted to become an athletic trainer, it actually fell on my lap, to be quite honest. I, I knew I liked anatomy, I knew I liked sports, and I knew I liked helping people. So um, I was taking a, uh, I think it was Intro to Athletic Training, and Andy Pollan was the, the um, he was the instructor. And then he said at the very end, if anyone was interested in doing an internship. And I knew around that time in college, I needed to do an internship. So I said, this sounds pretty awesome. Let me try it. So I did. And uh, I actually liked it. it was, I liked the thrill of being on the sidelines, the excitement of the emergency procedures and the anticipation. So that would, that's what really made me um, want to become an athletic trainer are those components. Um, and then as I started to go more into what else do I want to do on top of this, I always want to learn. So I'm always trying to search or try to become a better version of myself. So uh, originally, I wanted to be a PT. So, um, but at the same time, uh, when I looked at the PTs, I knew they weren't able to get the direct access to patients because first they had to get a referral from the MD. So I was like, I don't know if I really want to become a PT. So the, um, I wanted to be more like a, a, a direct referral or direct access, but I didn't want to be an MD. I didn't want to give meds. I didn't want to do surgery. Hmm. I wanted to heal with my hands. So that's when I, uh, my buddy, Dean, he was uh, going to Cairo school. He told me a little bit more about it, and I was like, huh, this is interesting. So I looked into it, and here I am 20-some-odd years later. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. Cool, huh? I know. Learning from Hall of Famer himself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the stories. The stories that come from Andy. Yeah, there's some good stories, really good, good <laughs> times there. I mean, um, it was really emotionally, there's a lot of emotional attachments, which will help you really remember things. So I had good times when I was there. Good group of people that I worked with, a uh, great uh, leader to kind of steer us in the right direction. So I can't thank him enough. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So in all of your years of being an athletic trainer and a chiropractor, we kind of want to know what is your athletic training or chiropractic spirit animal? This, this one, this one is her favorite. Yeah, it's my favorite, definitely, because 
I want to explain it really fast. So it's a modality rehab tool, tape braces, etc. Like any tool of the trade that really represents you as a clinician. You know, I had to think about that. I was going to ask you for examples, but I was like, you know what? I like this. Let me let me just go with it. And if, if I'm saying the wrong thing, so be it. Um, but I would think that um, I'm the AT bag, the AT bag itself. Oh, you're the whole kit. <laughs> this is, this is, we haven't heard this one yet. <laughs> I'm just the bag, not because I'm full of it. Uh, not because I get tossed around. It's because I like to be organized. You know how the Ooh. kit's always organized. So I'm always organized and I like to have tools and gadgets that I can use for athletes or patients. So, and on occasion, when you dig deep enough, you'll find. Uh, normally, I'll find something unexpected that I totally forgot about. So uh, that's why I would say that I'm more of the AT bag. Organized but full of surprises. I like yeah, that. You like that? That is such a great answer. So unique. <laughs> that is so unique. <laughs> I might steal that. <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> so it wouldn't be AT corner unless we have some kind of story. So do you have anything from your practice, either, either as an athletic trainer or as a chiropractor? It could be anything. It could be funny. It could be serious. Anything about doing the job. Um, are you talking about, like, clipping toenails? Because I know I had to do that one time. <laughs> <laughs> anything you want to kick us off. Yes. Oh. And it could be about the evaluation process, whatever you can think of. Yes. Yeah, so we're, since we're on the uh, evaluation process, uh, I'll just kind of go into a story that I, I mean um, – a case that I've had recently, a oh, uh, 50 year old female cro ex cross country runner. She now all she does now is just run, but she was re actually referred by a personal trainer. Um, so she had insidious onset of left hip pain, but she had a history of lower right back pain. So uh, when I actually go through evaluation methods, I, I don't just look at the back or the, the area of complaint. I, I look above and below. So with her case, I looked at the lumbar spine proper. I looked at the pelvis, the femoral acetabular joints, and if I really get um, super excited then I'll look at the t-spine and also the ankle so there's a whole bunch of things that I have to look at so uh, what was cool is that she her diagnosis from first glance first treatment was more like an SI joint issue I had to rule out FAI but then I also thought it was pubic symphysis issues because uh, that whole um, pubic ring works together um, so first visit did some treatment gave her some skills and drills um, I'll explain skills and drills so normally when you tell patients or you tell athletes, I'm going to give you an exercise, I'm going to have you do some rehab, that can kind of leave a little bad taste in your mouth. Like, man, do I have to do exercises? <laughs> so I change it up. I call it skills and drills. People always want to learn new skills, right? And when you say drills, it's like, oh, they get kind of amped up. Oh, there's a drill that I'm going to do. So I like to call it skills and drills. So I had her do some of that stuff. And I said, go ahead and uh, continue to see the uh, personal trainer. She comes back a second visit. I did a re-eval, um, did similar stuff. SI joint issue, she said, was kind of resolved. She didn't say my SI joint is resolved, but she said my back, my <laughs> lower back feels better. Um, and the hip, I don't feel it as much, uh, but she still seemed to feel some discomfort in that hip more so than anything else. So I did some treatment again, gave her some more skills and drills, and I said, go ahead and keep, uh, keep working out with your, your personal trainer. So she comes in, I think it was earlier this week, or which is today. <laughs> and um, so she said she had no SI joint problems. It only hurt when she went into the hole. So whenever she squatted and she went down deep, she said, I feel the discomfort in the hip. It feels deep. It feels like it's ratcheting, click, click, click type of thing. So I had to do another evaluation. I do a lot of mini evals to, uh, to be quite honest. Um, I noticed that uh, it wasn't really her hip that I needed to check out, but I needed to check out her ankle and her upper body, her, her upper quarter. So I worked on those mostly, worked a little bit on that left hip, 
But she got up. She went into the hole. She's like, wow, I don't feel it. She got deeper, actually. And then um, uh, she also, it was also bothering her when she put her leg on a platform and internally rotated her, her femur. And, she, that, and that resolved as well. So she's like, wow, that, that actually really helped. So um, the reason why I'm telling this story is because when I'm doing an assessment, it's just not the initial assessment and I'm going to drive that diagnosis through the whole way through the process until we see each other in two weeks and do a reval type of thing. It's not like that. It might, every time I see them, it's a mini evaluation. So um, as you saw that, as, or as I saw, is first it started off with an SI joint, pubic symphysis, then it went to the femoral acetabular joint, then eventually went down into the ankle and upper torso in order to try to clear that stuff up. So um, I thought that was kind of interesting. And that's things that I see here at the, at the office or at, in, in the clinic. So um, I guess that's why they call it a working diagnosis because you're always trying to figure out and work to see exactly what it is. Yeah, adapting to the situation. Yeah. If we learned anything from 2020. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. That's I like that because it, it definitely is key when someone comes in, you know, each time should be a new new eval or at least building on your last eval as far as what are they seeing now? What's still limiting them? And then you can always check back and see, you know, where you, what's changed from your first eval. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So when someone initially comes in, you know, you have to, you have to start with that initial eval and get the ball rolling. What's your mindset when you are taking a look at someone? I know I've heard like some people are like, Oh, you're trying to rule things out. And then like some people try to like, oh, I'm trying to get the, the right condition and they're really trying to pinpoint something how do you look at it when you're taking that initial eval? Yeah, so the first thing I do, uh, first and foremost, is I want to make sure I'm not causing any more additional harm. So do no harm, right? That's what they say. Uh, I know when, you're, when uh, an athlete or a patient comes in to see you, there is going to be some risk of irritating the structure, whether you're doing ortho tests, because ortho tests are provocative motions, right? Uh, you're doing a movement eval, or when, even when you're palpating, there might be some sort of uh, aggravation to the tissue. But I'm not. I, I, don't, I just don't want to take them from a grade two ankle sprain to a grade three ankle sprain. So, uh, so that's what I'm truly looking for. Number one is do no harm. Number two is um, I get a lot of patients, athletes that come through that have seen other clinicians, whether it's an MD, a PT, another DC, sports massage therapist, podiatrist, acupuncture. <laughs> And I have to kind of look, um, think outside the box. I have to think outside, around, beneath, and beyond the box. <laughs> so, um, because there's always a component that might be missing that the other clinician didn't see. So it's just a different angle that I have to take a look at. And the last thing that I'm trying to do when I'm looking at a patient or an athlete is empower them. So they want answers. They come to you for answers. Um, they want to know what's up. So I have to give them that working diagnosis, something that's tangible that they can feel uh, or know about, and then kind of give them some solutions. I'm here as your teammate to give you some solutions for this. And that gives them hope, hope that they can heal. And then from there, they kind of, I give them that, that comfort or they feel like they can regain control. And eventually that gives them the drive to go back to whatever sport or whatever activity that they want to do. So those are the, the big things that I'm looking for when I first uh, take a look at a patient or a, an athlete. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Um, you you brought up a good point as far as the a lot of times they've seen another practitioner before you and sometimes you know that happens to the AT as well like oh a, you know they've worked with the PT or they saw the doctor for this so then you have to change what you're looking at do you find that to be 
an easier task because you get to, you know, like, okay, these, these things, I know it's probably not it. So I can look a little bit deeper or do you find it harder to think like, man, I really have to think outside the box for this one. I actually kind of get excited because <laughs> I, I like a, a challenge. So um, I try to figure out, okay, what did, what did they see? Which is good because I always get clues. And then um, from their clues, it's like, okay, what other clues can I find? And um, so you know how I say I have to kind of, if it's the low back, I just don't look at the low back. I have to look at the pelvis, femoral, acetabular joint, thoracic spine. So some clinicians just look and they're, they're myopic in their view and they just look at the pelvis if it's a pelvic issue. So, and then they just treat that or they evaluate it as that. And then they don't look above or below. They don't take into consideration what sport they play. Um, so they don't take in any, anything like that into consideration. So I have to really kind of ask the, the patient, the individual, hey, what have they done? What works? What did they think it was? What was their diagnosis? And I just kind of take all that information and that kind of gives me a, an understanding of where they're coming from and what, uh, what they've been through. And then from there, I just kind of either attach or supplement or complement whatever everyone else has done. Because I don't want them to think that they went to clinicians that were dumb or, anything, or something like that, right? Um, I'm always trying to respect other professions, but at the same time, just kind of add a little bit of twist and flavor to uh, what I see when they're presenting with an issue. And that just goes back to being part of the healthcare team. Yes, 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 absolutely. <laughs> it is definitely a team approach. Yeah, so the other thing that I have to kind of look at, which I didn't mention earlier, um, with my thought process on evaluating is, should I actually team up with them? So again, even though someone comes into me, they may not be, I may not be the best teammate for them. So I have to check, number one, can I help them out? Uh, and number two, do I need to get another opinion? Um, or even can I co-manage? So sometimes I might have to get imaging before I feel comfortable letting them know what I have available to them. So uh, the biggest thing that I, I have to kind of look up or, or let them know is, sh should we team up? And when I talk to them, I tell them, if I can help you, I'll let you know. Uh, if I can't help you out, I'll let you know. Either way, <laughs> I'll let you know. So, um, so I let them know. And, and they like that. They like the transparency of me being able to say that. And if I can't help them out, I'll try to find the person that can help them out or at least guide them in the right direction. Yeah, it's, it's that open communication and just knowing your limits as far as like, hey, I may not be the best person for this. This person might be or, hey, I got this. Yeah. And, and even if, if they're like, no, I want to see you, I want to see you, I tell them, hey, I don't know if it's going to work, to what percentage I don't know what's going to work. I'm going to try my best with whatever tools I have and gadgets I have to get you feeling better. But we're going to cap it out. If we, if we get to a point where um, both you and I agree it's not going in the right direction or as fast as we'd like, let's get some other conversations going with other people. And they, they uh, respect that. So that's how it kind of operates in my head. Yeah, for and sure. definitely from the patient's perspective, that's that communication is very much appreciated because I know that some patients, when they don't get the full healthcare team aspect and they just get the, you have generalized knee pain <laughs> and they're like, I know that's why I came here. Thanks. Thanks yeah. for telling me that. <laughs> they could have just Googled that, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I know that you've gone to a lot of courses to kind of fine tune your evaluation process. Can you tell us a little bit about how you implement some of those extra CEU information or any other courses that you might have taken? Yeah, before I actually get into this, uh, or answering this question is, there's, uh, like you said, there's a lot of CEs I've taken. Um, I've taken a lot of uh, courses. 
which are which is good. So uh, what I'm going to do is when I say their 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 names and these groups, um, there's no affiliation to them. Um, I just want to give them some love because definitely uh, what they've brought to the table for me, I think, will be advantageous for your listeners if they haven't actually approached uh, the certain techniques that I'm about to to share with you guys. Um, so when it actually comes to my evaluation process and using the CE information, my biggest thing is um, I'm looking for a concept, a philosophy, or a perspective. Um, what I really want to do is I'm trying to learn how to fish instead of just being given the fish. So whatever, whenever they're, they're saying a certain concept or a philosophy, I'm trying to digest that information and trying to see how that can complement uh, what I'm currently doing and, and practicing. So, uh, so in my head, it's constantly changing and evolving and morphing into something that I think will best serve the patient and, and the athlete. So, with that said, I mean taking it, uh, trying to trying to take it through my point of view, and so you can see where I'm coming from. When someone comes in, it's uh, it's just like when someone gets hurt on the field. What are you doing? You're on the sidelines of a football game. You see someone hit their shoulder. You're looking at them. You saw the mechanism of injury. You're trying to see how they get up. Are they holding their shoulder? Are they holding their leg? Can they get up on their own? Are they limping? So you're just basically taking a, a general survey of them. And that's what I do when I, uh, when someone comes in through the, through the clinic. I'm, I'm trying to see if they can get in and out of the door of their of their car. I'm seeing how they walk. If they're walking with a limp, antalgic gait. If how they're opening the up the doors to the clinic. How they're sitting down in the chair. So I'm looking through all that stuff. The evaluation process starts before any type of note taking. Um, and when they're actually when they're sitting down with me and we're taking notes and having a conversation, I'm taking stuff from like the FMS and the Postural Restoration Institute to see how they're breathing. Um, if it falls within a certain pattern, because I know Postural Restoration uh, Institute PRI goes over a lot of um, patterning, certain patterns. So I'm trying to look for that to see if there's any indicators or clues, like I said, that will help me understand what's going on with the body. Um, and then when I'm, when I'm watching them walk, like I said, going from the, the front into the, the room where we do the evaluation, I'm seeing how they walk. And then through ART, they have this biomechanics course. Um, where they kind of tell you their 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 thought process or through their lens um, movement links. I know with um, uh, Claire Frank and those those folks over there talk about gait, and I've taken a couple courses through them. So again, I'm just trying to integrate everything and just taking the pearls and just trying to use it to the practice uh, to my practice. Um, so now, when let's say they're sitting down, and after I do the valuation process, I normally take. I take vitals and I do a neurovascular assessment. After I do that, then I do a movement screen. The movement um, assessment of choice is the SFMA, so Selective Functional Movement Assessments. They go off of mobility versus stability type of thing, the, the joint by joint approach, where joints are either stable and mobile. Um, and each adjacent joint, they alternate being stable or mobile. So, and if one, become, if one joint's supposed to be mobile, if it's not moving like it should, then the neighboring joint, instead of being stable, it becomes mobile. So that's the philosophy I take when I'm looking at a, a globally trying to take a, an, in, an inventory, if you will, of the, of the athlete or patient. And then after I do that movement assessment, then I like to go through, I like to palpate. So when I'm palpating, I do something that the ART folks call the diagnostic algorithm. So basically, it's filling for with well, or with any pal type of palpation. It doesn't have to be ART, but when you're just palpating, you're filling for tissue texture difference. Um, is it is it a little bit more dense? Do you have densification in that tissue? Is it a little bit more supple? Is it 
you're, you're just checking for tissue texture differences. And uh, with the diagnostic algorithm, the cool thing that they do is they have the, the athlete or the, the patient go through a provocative motion. So let's say, um, well, actually, I'll give you an, uh, a story. So I was at uh, one of the ART seminars, and Dr. Leahy, who's the ART founder, he asked someone, okay, let's, get this, let's do this diagnostic algorithm. Anyone have some hip pain or anyone have pain? Uh, that we want me that you want me to take a look at a gal raised her hand. Yeah, yeah, I do. So she, he's like, okay, show me what bothers you. She goes down to a squat. It hurts me when I squat. So she goes into a squat. He says where she points at her hip. I forgot what hip. Let's just say it's the right hip. Uh, she's like, Al, it hurts me right here in the hip. He's like, okay. So he goes in there. He puts his hands on the site that bothers her, and then he put his uh, he put his other hand on a different tissue. Let's say the back stuff in the, around the butt area, and then he had her do the squat, the provocative motion. So as he was doing that, she was going back and forth, and each time she squatted, he would take his hand, whether it's the, the right hand or the left hand, and he would move one hand at a time. And then he would do that up, the, up the, uh, the pelvis or the area of complaint, and then he would go down, started going down into the thigh, eventually went into the, uh, the calf, and eventually ended up on the ankle. He went and ended up on the medial ankle and said, this is it. And then he said it was the posterior tibioteller ligament. He's like, uh, since it was an ART... A seminar he treated it and then he had her do the squat again crazy what happened she was able to go down not 100% pain-free but she was able to go down significant improvements just by doing that one treatment oh man yeah <laughs> you, it was crazy it was crazy you know what's funny is that reminds me Sandra had a moment like that at the mulligan oh. course yeah actually last year we took a mulligan course together and I have a prior dance injury that I have on my right hip, actually. It, when you were saying that, I was actually thinking the same thing. <laughs> and I've always had a lack of mobility, like like obvious lack of mobility in my right hip, especially in hip flexion. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time he the um, the course instructor just he he did a like a lateral pull, I, I believe. Yeah, he, he did like what you would normally do for like the mulligan for the hip. And there was a clunk. And then I was fixed, and then that turned me <laughs> That's on. That's what Morgan. I'm talking about. That's awesome. <laughs> it was really cool. It was a loud clunk. Uh, yeah, everyone heard it. <laughs> Were you scared? Were you surprised? Well, the funny thing is, like, I've had multiple clinicians work on me. Obviously, like, we've had through our practice, we've come come in contact with a lot of clinicians. So, I, anytime that we have downtime, I'm like, hey, you want to look at my hip? <laughs> and really, like, everyone's been able to make like small incremental like, uh, increases in my mobility, but it's always been like very yeah. short term, but that Mulligan, Got just, her. <laughs> it was just crazy because like my, I have lack of mobility uh-huh. for years and just like that one Mulligan technique, it was That's just awesome. crazy. I'm glad it worked for you. Yeah. But it's really cool. Like, I mean, it was in my hip. It wasn't in my posterior tibio tailor. <laughs> ligament i think that'd be really crazy to see yeah it was crazy to see it was actually kind of cool to be quite honest yeah but he was just palpating and, and his, his his skills with palpation is what actually delivered the the the, the treatment is he was able to really kind of fine-tune everything and say this is the and isolate this is the tissue that's causing most of your dis-ease it was crazy yeah that is crazy and it definitely drives home the point that you gotta look above and below you gotta look around the chain you have to go go really below. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's crazy because um, as I with the diagnostic algorithm, 
I can kind of use the anatomy trains philosophy. You know how you're talking about going up and down? So um, and I kind of think of, you know how anatomy trains is uh, fascial connections from the very top of your head all the way to the bottom of your foot and everywhere in between? I know that the Gray Institute, they, they call it the soft tissue continuum. The, uh, um, the FRS folks, the functional range systems folks, they call it bioflow. So it's, it's kind of like us wearing one big onesie, uh, <laughs> how everything's just kind of connected. So um, I like to... I like to use the anatomy trains and the diagnostic alg algorithm together because that kind of leads me and kind of guides me to where I can kind of go and kind of predict what tissues might be in insulted. So I, I really like using the anatomy trains as a background too. Um, I'll tell you a story. There's a guy that I had. He's a 70-year-old gentleman. He was complaining about QL uh, erector spinae issues kind of in the lower ribs on the right side. He said it hurts whenever he twists left or right. I was like, okay, so naturally what you want to do or will have a tendency is to work directly on those tissues that, were, that, that felt insulted, right? But this time I was like, you know what, I'm going to do the al a diagnostic algorithm and I'll think a little bit of, uh, more about the anatomy train. So I touched, uh, I first palpated both left and right side of the back and then I didn't feel that it was, uh, um, I didn't feel that the contralateral side was uh, a culprit. So I went to the front side and had him twist again, twist left and right. And I felt something a little bit more on the front side. So I switched my hand and I touched a little bit more into a hip. And then I just kept going back and forth, alternating. And it ended up that he, I felt most of the tension or most of the, um, the insult coming from the TFL on his ipsilateral side. So what I did is I did some ART on that TFL. I had him stand up, re redo the motion, the provocative motion, and it cleared up. He's like, I don't feel it. I don't feel it at all. So I knew that it was more like a spiral, the spiral line um, yeah. that, that might have been uh, part of the, the reason why he wasn't feeling so good when he twisted and turned. So, Man, that's the best feeling. Yeah, yeah, it was. And then you should have seen his eyes because his wife was in there, too, and her eyes lit up. And I actually had a student. Yes, I had a student <laughs> at that time. <laughs> and then her eyes uh, kind of like, wow, that's kind of cool. I can see in her eyes that she was kind of like, whoa, this is crazy. Those, those are always the best moments when you're like, yeah, I'm a genius, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I was afraid because I didn't think my head would fit out the door. <laughs> yeah, well, it's really cool how you use you utilize all these different techniques. I mean, we talk about all the time on the show how every patient, we give, every time we kind of give a disclaimer that every patient has to be highly individualized. So it's really cool how, how much information and different um, CEUs and different courses that you've been to that and, you can uh, really pull from. And the different philosophies and algorithms. Because like you said, each one of those courses have a different way of evaling. And some people could get locked in of like, oh, well, I took ART and that's all I'm going to use and that's yeah. all I do. So yeah, yeah that's really awesome. Crazy because you know, um, more more people are great migrating more towards fascia and treating fascia. So the, the Gray Institute folks have something called the Functional Soft Tissue Transformation, FSTT. And that really kind of expanded my, my thought process on treating tissues itself because I was heavily into, okay, I'm going to treat the muscle um, and just kind of play around with fascia. I really didn't take fascia too, too serious as much as I do now and, and how, um, how much power it has in treating. So it, it's really crazy that uh, now I'm thinking instead of mechanically trying to influence tissues, I'm thinking more neurologically, how can I influence tissues as nice. well? And they kind of brought that perspective to the forefront of my mind. So I like using that. And talking about neurology uh, or neurological influence, um, PRT is kind of cool. So positional release technique. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so at first glance, when you're doing it or you're learning it, you think it's kind of bogus, like, will this really work? <laughs> Honestly, that's what my mind is thinking. Um, but in effect, if you really think about it, because it's like uh, tissues are neurologically short-circuited. So um, normally, mechanically, you're thinking, if I feel something short, I need to stretch it out. But in this philosophy, it's like you have to kind of approximate the tissues, kind of like, you know, Chinese handcuffs. Uh, with Chinese handcuffs, if you try to pull it apart, um, it gets tighter and holds you on tighter. Uh, but if you put them together, then it loosens up and you can kind of take it apart. That's kind of like how uh, this PRT stuff is, is since it's so neuro neurologically short-circuited, what's happening is the tissue is trying to stay together. So if mm -hmm. you try to stretch it out, it doesn't want to. But if you put it closer together, then it can actually relax. So I actually do this to a handful of folks, and it shows some great results. Interesting. Yeah, so I had a lady, I want to say last week, she, um, so she had an anterior pelvic tilt. She was complaining about low back issues. And so what I did is I, um, I, I used the reciprocal inhibition thought process. So she had a lower cross syndrome. So her, her, like I said, her pelvis was anteriorly rotated. So I worked on the front tissue. So if we want to use muscles as reference, I, I loosened up the TFL. I loosened up the psoas, the iliacus, the rectus, and then um, and the rectus. Fine. And then what I turned on or what I, uh, what I did PRT on was actually the tissues that were elongated. So the butt muscles, yeah. the hamstrings, those tissues, I've worked, I did PRT. So there was an, uh, an area on her butt that was super sensitive. I was like, what's this? She's like, ah, that's a nine. <laughs> so I was like, okay, so I'm just going to place my hand here. This is, that's the hardest part of this whole, whole treatment. So I just placed my hand on her and then I did the PRT um, uh, maneuver and then I held it there, and then I didn't. What I'm feeling for for circulations or little twitches, all of a sudden those twitches started to kind of mellow out. And then I, I put her leg back onto the spot where I first palpated her in the same position. And then I poked, I poked in that same area and I pressed hard. I was like, "How does this feel?" She's like, "I don't feel it." And I was like, "Whoa, this is crazy." <laughs> so um, yeah, and then she looked at me like, "What the heck just happened?" And then so I like to use the analogy with with folks is um, I, I tell them. Imagine that your muscles drank a whole bunch of coffee. And then they're like, okay, you know how when you drink a lot of coffee, the you get all wired and amped up and you're all excited? She's like, yeah. I was like, that's what your muscles were right now. But what I had to do is give it lavender tea so it relaxed. And, like, oh. and then so I ne neurologically relaxed the tissues. So she was excited about that and so was I. So um, that was a good uh, PRT moment. Nice. That's cool. I like that analogy. Yeah. So you were talking about a little bit earlier how you do initial eval and then you do a series of follow-up evals. Can you walk us through a little bit about how that those two differ? Yeah, so the initial evaluation, everyone goes through something I call the VNIPRO. So that, that's basically an acronym for vitals, neurovascular assessment, inspection, palpation, range of motion, um, orthopedic test, and, event, and extra. So it kind of allows me to remember what order or what things I need to go through. So they all, everyone goes through that. So it gives me baseline in, a baseline inventory. Um, so what I'm trying to do on the initial evaluation is trying to look for the biggest players um, that's causing this whole mess. Because uh, a lot of times I get folks telling me I have this bothering me, that bothering me. And so there's like 10 things that's, that's bothering them. So I have to tell them, I was like, hey, I'm trying to hit a home run here. I'm not trying to hit single bases. And they're like, oh, okay, okay, okay. So either they tell me what's bothering them the, the most, or I find it through their movement or by talking to them. So it's like a hierarchy. I'm trying to figure out what came first, and is that the thing that's causing everything thereafter? 
So that's what I'm looking for in the initial evaluation. With the follow-ups, like I said, there are many, many evaluations. So it, it all depends on how the initial treatment, how it went, if it helped. And if it helped, that means I'm on the right, right track. Um, and did it help enough where I can go to the next thing that's bothering them? So um, what's their primary complaint in this visit? Um, so that's how I kind of look at it. And if I need to do neuros, then I'll do neuros. I've had a guy that came in here or came to the, to the clinic and he, I think he was, yes, he was having some low back issues, some numbness tingling into his hands and feet. And so I did a neurovascular workup and I, I saw that he had, um, plus three in DTRs. He had lower extremity clonus. That was positive. He was, it was two beats. So it was just kind of pumping like he was listening to music. Um, I said, hey, I need to get some, I, I'd like to get some imaging on this um, just so at least we know exactly what we're working with. And then he denied and he, he uh, said, no, I don't want to. I don't want to. I was like, well, I, I would highly suggest us, you getting an, uh, an MRI or some sort of imaging so at least we can start the process because it always takes a long time to get imaging uh, when you're going through your insurance. So I, I laid that, that out to him and he's like, no, no, uh, I just want to hold off. I was like, okay. I'm going to do some treatment, but I want for you to understand that if it's not going the way that we want to, you're going to need to get some imaging, and I won't be able to help you out if you don't want to. So he's like, okay. So he knew the ground, the ground rules. Um, so I actually, as I started checking him every day or every time that he came in, eventually the DTRs, the DTRs uh, were bilaterally, and the clonus was bilaterally. Wow. So eventually that actually only went to one side and not as prevalent, and uh, the clonus actually... It went to one beat on both. Uh, it went to one beat on both sides, then one beat on one side. Eventually, it didn't have any beats, so so it was negative. So, and this is over a period of time. Um, so I was very careful on what type of treatments I, I I used with him, but at the same time, I always uh, reinforced the thought of, hey, I might want to get some imaging, or we might need to work this up a little bit more. But um, it it came to with his case, it didn't come to the point where we had to get more imaging or where I had to push him out the door to get those imaging. So um, that was that was a good thing. So and then um, going along with the follow-up visits, what I do is the top tier SFMA. So everyone goes through that every time they come in because things can change. And like I said, treatment is my assessment. So whenever I do a treatment, I do a, um, a test and retest. So let's say they're touching the toes, they suck at touching the toes, and that's what they want to do, I guess. So they go down and touch the toes, they suck at it, then I do a treatment on a certain tissue that I think might be causing all the insult. And then I have them recheck, and then I retest it. If that helps, then I know. Okay, great. This is the, uh, the treatment is my assessment. And at the on the same token is, if I do something that helped them out, that can let me know. Okay, I'm gonna give them the skills and drills when they're at home. So instead of saying their homework, it's a skill and drill that they're gonna work on at home. Whether it's lengthening the tissue or adding load to the tissue. So that's how the kind of like my initial eval and my follow ups are. Nice. You mentioned about like the possibility of someone needing imaging. And I know for a lot of newly certifieds, you know, you do this eval and you think you got your answer and you, you kind of know what to do. But then when you're done, you're like, all right, what next? I, I don't know where to go with this. How do you what do you look for in that point of this needs to be referred or I can handle this myself? What's kind of that determining factor for you? If I see something that I can't work on, that I have in my toolbox to help them right then and there, and it might be detrimental to their health, um, then that's when I say, okay, let's let's have this conversation of having other people involved, or let's get some imaging. So um, I try to do that at, 
sooner rather than later. So sometimes I just lay out the whole whole picture, uh, the whole treatment plan, um, and I tell them, hey, this is what I'm thinking, but it can go this way. If it goes this way, then we need to do this. So I kind of give them a road ra- a road map of where we need to kind of go. Okay. I mean, it kind of goes back to your idea of being adaptable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's key. I think that's definitely key. So this is uh, this is Sandra's baby right here. So anytime we go anywhere, my favorite thing, and I know the spirit animal was my favorite, but I'm changing gears. So anytime that we go to a seminar or something, I get really bummed out when we just kind of touch the surface and we don't have any like action items. So what we want to ask you today to kind of wrap up what we've we've talked about so much about your evaluation process and I'm sure the listeners can take a lot away from today but in your mind what do you think is the most applicable knowledge or the the wrap-up point that listeners can take away to change their practice oh man <laughs> so um it's a different I'm going to take it from a different angle okay um because I think it, it's more of a global I think I need to take a more global answer on this um and I think what will help your listeners out is basically to know their why. So what I mean by that is what gets them excited when they wake up uh, or get what's, what gets them excited to wake up, um, what gives them a sense of fulfillment, uh, what gives them meaning. Um, and it's typically something that's bigger than, than them or, or you. Um, so you're serving a bigger purpose than your own. Um, and it's, everything that you do is, uh, will be more fulfilling. So if you know your why then that'll drive you a little bit more to learn a little bit more, to serve a little bit more. Um, And I think knowing that piece of information and understanding that will kind of not only help you out with your vocation or with your work or your job, but also in life in general. So again, like I said, I'm taking a a little bit more of a back step and different, more uh, a broader perspective on it. But I think if you know your why, that'll help you out in the long haul. Kind of some life advice, career advice. Yes. Going along with your why, for example, myself, I have it on my mission statement. It's, it's more of a, I have mentoring to move forward. So the world is evolving and so is our profession, right? So I want to be able to be a mentor to help out during that movement forward. And, and the goal isn't to be better. It's to be better to, be better to serve others type of thing. Um, and so my thought in theory is I want to be a mentor to help expedite that process of the generation underneath me and so on and so forth. So, um, and that's, that's my, one of my whys is, is to kind of mentor and move forward. So the other thing that I think will help your listeners is to be very intentional and be very curious. What I mean by, mean by intentional is don't get lost in all the noise. So a lot of people, they lose the focus and um, losing that focus takes them away from what they can focus on to be a little bit more uh, to add more meaning to to their life, but someone else's life as well. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people have empty busyness, if that kind of makes sense. So they're just busy, but they're not making any meaning out of it. So I think that would be help- helpful as well. And when you're curious, it helps bump up your motivation. You can um, and when you're curious, you that makes you a little bit more um, more excited to want to learn and grow. And the last thing I told you, there's a lot of things that are going through my mind that help your audience, <laughs> help your listeners, is to serve. So look to serve and not to be served. Um, and ATCs are the prime example of servers, people that, ex- uh, that help serve. 
Um, you, you guys can work, we can work long hours and sometimes it's a thankless job. So just remember why you're here in the first place. Um, and, and it all goes back to your why. Yeah. You know? And that's why I, I left that for the first one. Full circle. Yes. <laughs> I got, I got all philosophical on you guys. Huh? <laughs> well, well, speaking of, uh, philosophy, you do have an ebook. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I do. Yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. They can, um, your, your listeners can definitely get it. Um, under Dr. Joe Jaime, that's J-A-I-M-E dot com. And it's basically the ebook is what I've learned in the first 10 years of practice. It's basically a short read and it's meant to have a lasting impression. So um, hopefully uh, they'll find some value in that. Because again, like my job is, like I said, is to mentor the, the next generation forward. Yeah, we had a lot of fun talking to Joe and going over pretty much everything from how he evaluates to his philosophy. Like it was, it was a lot of fun. I, I know I picked up a lot of nuggets. I think my favorite part about talking with Joe was his outlook on evaluation. Yeah. It was really cool to get insight and in what he thinks about and how he approaches not only new patients and the system that he's developed, but also his repeat patients and how can I adjust from my first evaluation or my last evaluation to where they are now, what they're presenting? Learning from Joe doesn't stop here, though. If you want to check out his free ebook, his website is in the show notes below, or if you're watching on YouTube, it's in the description. Along with, I don't know if you guys know this, but Randy puts timestamps on all of our education episodes. Yes, I do. So if you want to go back or like skip to a certain part, you can go ahead and check that in the show notes below. And then also, if you want to comment on this episode, head over to our AT Corner Community Facebook group. That's facebook.com slash group slash AT Corner Podcast. This week, we're starting something new. We're going to start a question of the week. Ooh, that's exciting. And this is the last week you can enter our giveaway. So go ahead and make sure you check out that. If you guys are new, we do every other episode as stories or education. This one was obviously education. So next week, we're going to be doing stories and we do have some possible upcoming topics nothing set in stone but we're looking for student memories what made you become an athletic trainer most rewarding return to play story mistakes you've made as a clinician Man, those are solid ones i like those but as always make sure you check out our instagram stories for upcoming stories and you can dm us or email your stories to atcornerds at gmail.com you want to wrap it up randy yeah uh before we go i just wanted to say uh you know back to talking with Joe is hopefully this starts at least the thought process of how each one of you evaluates and, you know, hopefully it gives you a chance to reflect like, Oh, where, what can I do different? I know after our conversation, I immediately started thinking of, Oh, how can I start evaluating differently? So I thought that was an awesome, you know, conversation and hopefully it's valuable to all of our listeners. Well, with that being said, thank you for helping us showcase athletic training behind the tape. Bye.